So we're starting this new series, Q&A, Questions and Answers. Life brings big questions, does it not? I mean, why this, why that? I mean, and it's, you see these big questions, difficult questions of, of life. And the book of Ecclesiastes asks those questions. And uh, we're going to trek through this book for the next several weeks and tackle some of those questions that Ecclesiastes brings up. If you have a Bible, we're going to look at chapter 1 this morning. Most of our scriptures will be up on the screen for you. But if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to to chapter 1. And as we do that, before we dig in, I want to kind of prepare our hearts with a couple questions this morning, a couple reflective questions. Be honest with yourself this morning. What were your main concerns and cares over this past week? What have you thought about the most? What has your attention right now? What has your affection? What have you been giving your affections to? Do you find yourself spending more time on things that at the end become meaningless? Do you find yourself working for the things that at the end also become meaningless? Do you find yourself tired and worn out, too tired for God's work because you've spent all your time and energy trying to get ahead in this life? Be honest with yourself this morning. I I need to be honest. In his commentary on the book of Ecclesiastes, a man named Dan Allender says this, We long for a meaningful life, but many of us have exchanged meaning, purpose, and abundance for overcommitment, pressure, and hectic schedules. It is time to reflect and regroup. What are we chasing after? What are we looking for? As Christians, we say we're looking for God, But when we stop to reflect on our lives, we wonder if we're more caught up in the pursuits of our culture. We wonder if we're looking for God in all the wrong places. Um, Ecclesiastes being written by King Solomon. Solomon was David's son. David was the warrior king of Israel. He was a mighty man of God. He was a man after God's own heart. He wrote the, the majority of the Psalms, and he was a great worshiper. His son Solomon, who took over the reign as king of Israel, he saw the the kingdom of Israel at its high point when they were just, everything was functioning. They were the top dog, if you will. And um, King Solomon, how how do you describe him? How do you put him into words? Well, I put together a a little idea to put this in your head. If you could take the royalty of Prince Albert, maybe take the looks of Brad Pitt, I don't know, is he still hot stuff? No guys, right? <laughs> if you could take the wisdom of Albert Einstein, the brains of Albert Einstein, the success and achievements and money of Bill Gates and Steve Jobs, and maybe the, the uh, ladies' man, the Hugh Hefner, right? Is he still around? Hugh Hefner. <laughs> Put them all together. You have King Solomon. He was a guy who we, or our culture, would say he had it all. He had everything. He had everything that, that the good life could bring, quote unquote. And yet at the end of his life, he's still totally empty. He finds himself empty on the inside. And that's where Ecclesiastes comes from. He says this in, in verse 2. He says, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, speaking of himself. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. 
I mean, no, he might have needed a Zoloff or whatever. I mean, he, this book, it's, it's a, not the easiest book to understand. And we have to, have to learn how to line up what, what he is saying with what Jesus has, has taught us. Ecclesiastes 1.14, I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. We've all heard the stories about athletes who rise to the top of their game, fame, fortune, success, hold up the Super Bowl trophy, whatever it is, they get to the top, and then later in life you find them empty. Maybe they blew their fortune, and, and they're, they're still trying to come back and achieve something that it's just was, it seemed meaningless. It was a chasing after the wind. Rock stars who climb to the, the top of the charts and have everything, and they find themselves empty as well the end of the day. When he says that I've seen all the things that are done under the sun, this is important. As you read through Ecclesiastes, what does he mean? Ecclesiastes is a poetic wisdom book. It's, it's not a theology book, but it's a, it's a poetry book, and it's, it's, it's philosophy. And so when he uses this phrase, under the sun, it describes poetically life and perspective here on earth apart from God. So when you hear that phrase, under the sun, think of of somebody trying to figure out the meaning of life with God as excluded from the equation. You know what we need more than anything? We need a God perspective of life. We need to get above the sun. See, what he's describing is here on earth, life seems meaningless. Without God, what, what is the purpose of all this? What's the purpose of life? And we need to get God's perspective We need to remember that we were made by God and for God. And until we get that, I don't care how old or young you are in this room, until we understand that we were made by God and for God, life is not going to make any sense. It's not going to make any sense at all. Then he uses this phrase, it's a chasing after the wind. That's a funny picture. Can you imagine chasing after the wind? It's it's elusive. You can't do it. He's saying this is an impossibility. What does that mean? It's, it's pursuits of joy and purpose outside of God are endless. It's, it's trying to find joy and pleasure without God being part of the, the equation and understanding that is a chasing after the wind. He says that several times as well. We've got to ask ourselves the question, is life about being successful? Is life about making money? Is life about seeking pleasure or achievements or whatever? When we ask those questions and we say, what's the point of life? What really is the point of life? I want to read to you from chapter 1 of Ecclesiastes. It says, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome. More than one can say, the eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new. It is already long ago. It was already here long ago. It was here before our time. 
No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. I, the teacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. There's five things I see right there that are results of not knowing your meaning in life. And I really felt like this was an important series for us to do. Because I know either in this room or you know somebody that's going, what's the point? What's the meaning? Um, it's been a pain-filled month for a lot of people and people that I know. And understanding this is a game changer. It's a game changer for your life when you understand why you were created and what's the meaning of life. I think the first result, when you don't know the meaning of life, life seems pointless. I don't know if anybody is, you know, remembers this song back in the day. It was by a band called The Godfathers. Anybody remember them? By, am I the only one? They weren't very big. They were British anyway. Um, but they had this song, and it goes, birth, school, work, death, birth, school, work, death. That was the chorus of the song. Pretty uplifting. Him and Solomon would have probably had a good time hanging out together. But there's just life is pointless, right? You just go through the motions and you're here and you're gone. Life feels tiresome when you don't know the meaning of your life. It's just spinning your wheels. It's wearisome, as Solomon said, running in circles. I was thinking the other day that just it seems like yesterday we had Christmas Eve service. And I could tell you in details all the things that happened on Christmas Eve. That was six months ago. Bam, all of a sudden, here we are. Some of you haven't got to your Christmas lights yet, so you're just going to leave them up till next year. But doesn't it seem like you're setting up for Christmas and you tear it down and here it is again? And the older you get and the more life goes on, it's just the faster. It doesn't slow down. It just it gets, it gets faster and faster, and that makes us tired. Life, if you don't know the meaning of your life, life is unfulfilling. People are restless and bored. Being restless and bored is a tough place to be. When people are, are younger, they want to be older. When you're older, you want to be younger. And there's this battle always going on. That's why people have midlife crisis. You know, go buy a motorcycle or something and do something that you never did before because you think, hey, I, I, uh, I haven't lived life yet. Or life's it, it, you know, a chasing after the wind and I haven't grabbed what I wanted to grab yet. No offense to anyone that bought a motorcycle. I don't believe you went through a midlife crisis. You know what I'm talking about, though. People wake up and they go, how'd I get here? How'd life go by so fast? So then they feel like they got to play catch up and do something crazy or, or change up their life. Life seems insignificant when you don't know your, your, the meaning of life. I like to think about this. You know, everybody has a family tree. So you probably know a lot about your parents. You probably know a lot about your grandparents. You probably know less about your great-grandparents. Way less about great-great and so on and so on and so on. Down, down the family tree, they're just a name, you know? And, and you're, you're like somehow connected to these people, but you know nothing about them. It's easy to see that 
is my life going to count? Am I just going to be a, a name in a family tree, or is there some significance to my life? If you don't know the meaning of your life, it's going to seem insignificant. Then life seems out of control. You know, one problem in, one problem out, just one after the other. Shovel them in, shovel them out, one problem after the next. But again, remember this. This is important. This is perspective under the sun. This is a perspective of life without God. Maybe today you're thinking, I would like to know the meaning of life. I'd like to be connected to, the, to, to this God who you say has given me purpose, that give, has given purpose to my life. Maybe you're there. I'll give you four options when you don't know the meaning of life. You ask the question just like Solomon does in 724. He says, how can anyone discover what life means? It's too deep for us, too hard to understand. Not from Jesus' perspective. That's what we're going to get to here in just a minute. Jesus has a perspective to teach Solomon, to tell, show Solomon what life really is about, which is going to show all of us. First thing you can do when you don't know the meaning of life is you can guess. You can guess at it. One guess from in our modern culture comes from humanism, the religion of humanism. Um, you know, Karl Marx, Sigmund Freud, Charles Darwin... These enlightened men brought a perspective that there's no creator. Man is the center of the universe, that it's all about us, and that actually your life is, comes from a cosmic accident that happened billions and billions and billions of years ago. And when you don't know that your life was created with purpose, and you're, you're just guessing at what life is really about, you can make it up. Number two, you can make it up along the way. You can be your own boss, call your own shots, do what you want to do. Or number three, you can try to escape the reality of not knowing the meaning of life by numbing yourself, checking out. Sadly, there's a lot of people who are, they're just existing. They're not living. And when you're just existing, you just... You don't know the meaning of your life. You don't know that there's a God who loves you and a God that has created you with special purpose. Which leads me to the fourth and right option to discover the meaning of life is you can discover the real meaning of it. You can. Solomon, at the end of the book, he makes this, this statement. He says, after all this, there is only one thing to say. Have reverence for God and obey his commands because this is all that we were created for. Now I'll tell you this, I think he has it partly right. And I'm, who am I to argue with King Solomon? But we've got to remember, he is saying the things that he's saying pre-Jesus. Jesus hadn't come on the scene and, and taught what he taught and interpret life and interpret the Old Testament. So he did get it right that God had created us to, you know, in obeying his commands. Every command of God is for our good. God tells us to do something or not to do something, it's because he loves us. Always remember that. Never forget that. So what is the point of life? I'll tell you this. The meaning of life is preparation for eternity. It's really what it, what it boils down to. What is this life? What is my 50, 60, 70, maybe you live to be 100 years of life? What is the meaning of it? Listen, we're passing through. To go into eternity. Every single one of us has to face the reality of, of death. 
that we're not going to live forever. But you are going to live forever in your soul. And you were created to live forever. He has set eternity in the human heart, Solomon says. That's so true. If you study all cultures and you study you know, history, people were always longing and believing that there was something in the afterlife. There was something that goes beyond the grave. There's a new show coming out this summer. I saw it's called Proof. And the crux of the TV show is they're going to prove that there's life after death. It's not a Christian thing or a biblical thing, but everybody wants to know there's, there's something else beyond here. Well, we were created with purpose. Jesus redeemed us for eternal life. You know, death was not part of God's original plan. Even though it's a reality we all have to face, death from a biblical point of view is a penalty. And I didn't make that up. Scripture talks about that. The wages of sin is death. And every person was born and we make those mistakes. We sin. We're selfish. And the wages of that is death. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came to redeem us from that. He made such a bold statement. He said, though you die, if you believe and trust in him, that he's the resurrection and the life, though you die, you will live. Because we go to be with him. We're going to get new bodies in, in, in eternity. And that's a whole other teaching in itself. I'm going to talk about that a little bit in some of our questions that we're going to ask. Because heaven is a real place. It's a real place. Heaven is not a state of mind or a state of being. or It's not floating around with wings and playing a harp and all these kind of bad images, wrong images that we get. Heaven's a real place. And the intermediate heaven is where Jesus is right now. And our loved ones that died in Christ have gone to be with him in heaven. And one day when Jesus returns, as we were just singing about this, When he returns, he's going to create the new heavens and the new earth. And we're going to live with him in our new bodies, perfected, glorified bodies forever and ever. That's what scripture teaches. So if the meaning of life is preparation for eternity, I bet, I mean, if you were to be honest with yourself and ask yourself on a daily, weekly basis, am I living in light of eternity? Is, am I living to make an impact on eternity? That's a game changer. When you begin to not just live in the hustle and bustle and make money and work and get ahead and do this and that. If you live that way, life is going to ultimately seem tiresome, pointless, all those things. But when you live with an eternal perspective, you see life differently. So how do we prepare for eternity? How do we do this? I'll give you a couple quick thoughts on this. Number one, get to know God. You want to prepare for eternity, get to know God. He has revealed himself in this book. And so when you read the scriptures, you're getting to know God. And if you want to know what God is like, you look to Jesus. He came to reveal who God is. God became one of us so that we could understand what he's like. He said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So we get to know God. Jesus said this. He said, now this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. The Gospel of John says this. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's beautiful. 
So you receive him as savior. You, you do this when you become a, his child when you put your faith and hope and trust in him. Have you done that? I don't want to assume everybody in this room has done that. Have you taken that step and said, Lord, I've made a mess of my life. At this, I've made a mess to this point of my life. And I receive your forgiveness. Jesus, I believe that you died on a cross for me, that you rose from the dead, and that you will give me real life and eternal life. Do that today. If you haven't, just start by receiving his love and receiving his mercy, receiving his grace. You want to know if God loves you or not? Look at the cross. Jesus came and died so that we could have life. He paid that penalty. Step two in preparing for eternity would be this. Give your life away. Get to know God you get to know God by receiving Jesus as Savior, and then you give your life away. And how do you give your life away? First of all, give it back to him. He doesn't just become Savior, he becomes Lord, where he, he gets to call the shots in your life. Jesus said this to his disciples, if anyone wants to be a follower of mine, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For anyone who keeps his life for himself shall lose it. Did you catch that? You try to hold on to your life, you're going to lose it. But anyone who loses his life for me shall find it again. What profit is there if you gain the whole world and lose eternal life? What can be compared with the value of eternal life? Did you catch that? Solomon had everything, money, fame, fortune. He had all the, the things. He gained the whole world. Jesus says if you gain the whole world and you don't have eternal life, you've lost it all. You had nothing. Jesus gets to call the shots. You center your life around him. Center your life on him. You give your life back to him, but then you, you give your life away by, by giving your life to serve others. Look how the Living Bible puts Ephesians 2.10. It is God himself who has made us what we are and given us new lives from Christ Jesus. And long ages ago, he planned that we should spend these lives in helping others. You want purpose for your life? Give your life back to him by serving others, by serving people. Start with your own family. Start with, you, with your community and, and, and church. And give your life for the betterment of somebody else. God has plans. He has plans for us in eternity. I wrote a book a couple years back called Noblesse Oblige. And Noblesse Oblige is a, a French term for, your noble, for noble obligation. Back in the French uh, Revolution, they would cry out Noblesse Oblige. And, and what that meant was the rich and the powerful had a noble obligation to take care of the poor, the broken, the outcast. And the reason I titled the book that was us as, as Christians, Ephesians chapter 1 says that if you're a Christian, all the blessings of Christ have been given to you. When you put your faith in Jesus, he gave you all the blessings of Christ. How many think that's a good deal? By faith, you received all the blessings of Christ. You know what that makes you? That makes you a spiritual billionaire. You have everything. And because you're a spiritual billionaire, you have a noble obligation to spend your life making life better for others. 
loving God, loving people, glorifying God, and serving people. God has plans for us in eternity. He has plans for you and I, and I'm going to say this, and you're going to say, what in the world are you saying? I thought you were talking about heaven. In heaven, we're going to work. Wah, wah, wah. I thought heaven was going to be fun. No, it's not work like what you and I think work. We think of toilsome work that's a drag. We are going to contribute. If you, if you follow Jesus in eternity, you are going to contribute with significance to what God wants you to contribute to all of eternity. And what you do right now with your life, how you're faithful in, the, in everyday life and faithful to God's call on your life, you will be rewarded for that. God promises rewards in heaven for our faithfulness. And, and if God promises rewards, they're actually a noble thing. It makes it a good thing. So wherever season of life you're in, start now living for those, those rewards. And we are going to be rewarded for the things that we do in this life. It's not a merit system to earn salvation. It's not a merit system to earn heaven. That's only through what Jesus did. But there is going to be a blessing for how we used these lives that we were given. Third thing I'd tell you is this. You get to know God, give your life away, and then grow in Christ's likeness. You prepare for eternity when you grow in Christ's likeness. That's developing a Christ-like character. That's letting God mold and shape you into being a more honest person, a person of integrity, a person of love, a person of joy, a person that walks in peace and the fruit of the Spirit. That's what a Christ-like character. Jesus lived those fruits of the Spirit he embodied in how he lived his life. Jesus is the prototype of what God wants us to be like in our character on the inside. Romans 8:29 from the Living Bible. For from the very beginning God decided that those who came to him and all along he knew who would should become like his son so that his son would be the first with many brothers. Listen, God is working every circumstance of our life. He's working the good, the difficult, the bad for this purpose that you become like Jesus. He wants you to be holy. Holiness is, is what Jesus is. Holiness is not what you and I think it is. It's what Jesus says it is. And so growing in his character is pursuing true holiness. I think sometimes we forget that holiness... It's, it's to be set apart. That's literally what that word means, but it, it's to become whole. It, you, you're not going to walk in holiness if you're not a whole person. And you only become a whole person when you realize that God created me and redeemed me for a purpose. And when you enter into that, you begin to walk out your new identity in Christ. God's working all those things for, in our lives to make us holy. I like what... Uh, Rick Warren said this. He said, life is a series of problems. Either you're in one now or you're just coming out of one or you're getting ready to go into another one. How many know that's true? <laughs> the reason for this is that God is more interested in your character than your comfort. God is more interested in making your life holy than he is making your life happy. We can be reasonably happy here on earth but that's not the goal of life. The goal is to grow in character, to grow, grow in Christ's likeness. So God is more interested in our holiness than our happiness. 
And you're going to grow in Christ-like character when you, when you know what this book says. We'll always emphasize this. you got to read the Bible. Learn to read the Bible for yourself. Learn, stay in this word. It's what navigates our life. It's what directs us into the path that God wants us to be. It keeps us free from the dumb things that we do. Psalm 119 says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So when you deposit the word in your heart, it's, it, it, call on that and bring that about in your life, when you're, when you're about to fail, he'll remind you. He can lead you by the Holy Spirit and walk in the Spirit. Last thing is this. If you want to prepare for eternity, the meaning of life is glorify God by sharing the good news with others. You glorify God by sharing the good news for others. The one purpose in life you know, the p- purposes of life for, for us, that we were created to worship, we were created to serve, we were created to grow in Christ-like character, um, created for fellowship, created for community. The one purpose that we have in this life that we won't have in eternity is sharing Jesus because there won't be a need for evangelism anymore. It's that one thing in life that we get to do here that you will also be rewarded for. We're told in the Psalms, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all people. The most marvelous thing that God has ever done is the redeeming work of Jesus. Jesus' life, death, and his resurrection. Jesus came on a rescue mission. He came to rescue us. And when he walked the earth, he said, the spirit of the Lord is on me to preach good news to open the eyes of the blind, to comfort the hurting. And you know what? If you're a follower of Jesus, the Spirit of the Lord is on you to bring good news. Don't ever forget that. Don't think that sharing the good news is just for evangelists or missionaries. It's, we are all called to be part of that. People need good news. There are people around us that are living life without any meaning, without any hope heart broke this week for some news that bad news that I got about somebody and man people need hope people need good news let me ask you a question and this is a challenging question I'm challenging myself with it as well who will be in heaven because you were bold enough to share your faith with them Bold enough to love them, to love people enough to share Jesus with them. Sharing your faith is a relational thing, and it does take time. We're told in, in the scriptures that, that really sharing our faith is a lot like planting a garden. I don't know if many of you are planting new gardens this year, but you got to prep the soil, then you got to put the seed in, then you got to water it, and then you wait patiently for it to grow, and then when it pops out, you make sure the bugs aren't on it, and you, and you, you hopefully get to harvest some, some good food or whatever. Well, we're invited by God to, sometimes your, your, your calling and sharing your faith is to prep the soil of someone's heart. I know there are people who got hurt by church. They got hurt by Christians. They got they, just a raw deal in life, and so they see God through a wrong set of lenses. They, you know what? Before they are going to come out and accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they just need love. 
They just need the, the, the soil of their heart prepared. Maybe that's part of your ministry to somebody right now. Maybe you get that opportunity to share the seed of God's word and you plant a seed. Maybe you get to come by and, and water that, that somebody else plant, did the soil work and somebody else planted a seed and you get to water it. And, and then all of a sudden it gets to grow. Here's the deal. We get to participate in those things. There's one thing that we don't participate in, and it's the miracle of that growth. It's the miracle of what's going on underneath the soil. That's God's work, and only God can do that. We need to remember that. We share what's most important to us. I'm guilty of this. Kids do something great. I put it on Facebook. I'm proud of them. You do it too, right? You, you share things that you're, that, you're, that you're proud of. You share things that are important to us. Listen, the most important thing that's ever happened to you is that you turn to Jesus by faith. He wants you to share that with other people so that they can come to faith. And here's this part of the, the scriptures that, that sometimes I wish weren't there, but it, they are. Heaven is a real place, but so is hell. Hell is a real place. And we don't like to talk about that. But God doesn't send people to hell. You hear people say that, that God send people to hell. What you get in eternity is what you hoped for on this earth. Get that. What, how you, what you, where you spend eternity is what you hoped for in this life. It's what it really boils down to. So God doesn't send people to hell. They, by their choice, say, I don't want God. I, I don't want him to be my Lord. I don't want him to be my boss. I want to be my own Lord. And that wish is granted. God doesn't want people to go to hell. We see that in Scripture as well. And it's a mystery that I'm not going to try to stand up here and understand how the mind of God works and these kind of things. But the fact is, Jesus talked about hell Almost more than anything. Today's the day to get serious about preparing for eternity. And I realize this is, you know, Ecclesiastes is kind of a, a trip. It's, it's, it's not a downer book, but it kind of is from, a, it's a different angle. And he's asking questions that we have to say, what did Jesus say about these things? And you're going to hear that a lot. Jesus would have a lot to say to Solomon, and he does in, in these questions that we're going to be asking. Let's don't be like Solomon and wait to the end of our lives to prepare for eternity and learn the hard way. You don't have to do that. You can make that decision today. We're going to take communion, and behind us are the two communion tables. There's the bread and the juice, and... Um, as we get ready to, to go get the elements, I want you to go grab the bread and the juice and, and come back to your chair, and we'll take it as a, as a community family together. But we're told in Scripture to examine ourselves every time we come to the communion table. We are to examine our lives. And it's, that's one of the beauties of why Jesus told us to do this, is we remember his broken body, we remember his blood that was shed, that was atoning for, for our sin, that was making us right with him. And we, when we come and we reflect on what had to happen to him, it makes me realize what's going on in my heart. And we reaffirm our commitment. We refer, re, ultimately affirm his commitment to us and our allegiance to him.
Jesus makes sense of life. People ask all the big, deep, philosophical questions, and at the end of the day, only he can answer them. And you look and say, man, why is the world so screwed up? Why do people suffer? Why is there, uh, you know, what, what happens when you die? All these big questions. And you look to the cross and you realize what's gone wrong is us. <laughs> what happens when you die, you can go be with him and know that if, if your heart stopped beating today, you go be with him forever. And you put your faith, hope, and trust in him. So I encourage you today. Uh, parents, we at Novation leave that up to you, to your discretion to know you know, your children, and if they're ready to, to take communion, you, you know their faith and where they're at. But if you're not sure whether you're a follower of Jesus or you've received his forgiveness, um, today's the day to just say, Lord, forgive me. I put my hope in you. I believe in you, and I'm going to turn from sin and self. I'm going to give my life over to you doesn't mean you become perfect when you become a follower of Jesus. You don't become perfect. He's perfect. But he's work, he begins to work that in and through our lives, a Christ-like character. Why don't you stand and go grab the elements and we'll take it together.